Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia welcomes you to our weekly time of worship and study of God's Word with Pastor Jesse Wagoner. So sit back, relax, and get comfortable, because when you're here, you're home. For our conversation for these next four weeks, I just want us to talk about the simplicity of Christmas. What, is, what was in God's heart to send His Son to be the Savior of the world? You know all the stories, right? You know about the shepherds. You know about the angel visiting Mary. You know about the wise men and, and, all, and Herod and all that stuff. We've, I, this next spring, uh, sometime, I don't know the exact date, but I've, I, that will mark my 40th year of pastoral ministry, which seems strange to say that because it seems like that would be impossible, but it's true. And so Christmas comes around once a year, right? And we, so we go through these themes, we go through these stories. I've done a whole, during the 13 Christmases now with this one, number 13, that I've spent with you folks here at Mount Calvary, uh, we've looked at a lot of things. We've looked at the prophecies, we've looked at the narratives, we've looked at the responses, we've looked at the songs, that, the song that Mary sang and all those sorts of things. But I just want to get it simple. In fact, I have distilled this down to four words. And I'm going to give you one word per week for the next four weeks. Okay, that, that's, about as, that's about as simple as I know how to do it. And today I just want to focus on this word, and you will not be surprised. By the way, if you've looked at the little manger display in front of me, it's already given away. No, word number one is simply love. Love. At the heart of what God has done for us in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in sending his son, we would all say, well, sure. Sure, we're loved. It was love that motivated that. Uh, I love what uh, you were sharing there earlier about, you know, even in that song. What king would give up their throne for us? Most kings would do whatever they could to maintain their power and to maintain their position. This one emptied himself of all of that privilege and all of that use of his godness to become a man, to humble himself and take on the form of a servant. So I'm going to take you to the most familiar verse in probably all the Bible, certainly the New Testament. Because if you want to talk about God's love, I think a little verse that appears in John chapter 3 is probably as good as you can get. And if you have a Bible, I do, the words will be on the screen, but if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to have it open or a device. Because I want you to see it there. I want, I want this experience just to fasten this reality in our minds and uh, to just think about the significance of God from his heart loving the world. And you do know, right, that that includes little old you and little old me, loved by him. So uh, since uh, it's simply one verse and you already well know it, and it's also on the screen in front of you, let's, uh, let's just read this out loud together, okay? And I know you might have different versions. Let's, if we use the one on the screen, that will help us just for consistency's sake. Already? Be brave now. Take a deep breath. Let's do it, all right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most of us, if you grew up in the church world, probably learned that verse by memory years and years ago. Uh, you've probably seen it on a bumper sticker. You've probably seen it plastered somewhere. You've maybe seen it show up in a, in a football stadium or a sports arena. Very, very familiar. But it's simple. It's very simple. Now, if you look at the text in front of you in chapter 3, it all came about 
in a conversation from a, 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 Jewish, a Jewish leader by the name of Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus by night because he's sort of a little bit uh, timid in how much he wants to be associated with Jesus. But he, he's curious and he comes and he asks him some questions. And uh, as is often the case, Jesus answers way more questions than the man ever asked. But in the midst of this, he comes to what we just read together. Now, if you have a paper Bible, you might have, as I do, where uh, the, the, it's been tried to determine which are the words that Jesus actually spoke, spoke and to put those words in red print, so a red letter edition. You may have it, you may not. But uh, in this passage in John chapter 3, at some point, it, it's possible anyway, where Jesus stops speaking and John starts editorializing on what is, what's going on. Because John does that at the very beginning of the book. He does it throughout the book. He tells the narrative, here's what Jesus said, here's what Jesus did. And then he brings the reader in to explain what that means and what the significance of it is. It's highly possible that verse 16, although most red-letter editions would put it in the frame of Jesus' words, it might be John's commentary on what Jesus was speaking. And I think that's probably highly likely. So in the midst of what he's talking about, of, of he's trying to convince Nicodemus that he indeed is the savior of the world. He talked previously about how serpent lifted up the, the serpent in the wilderness, and that was an Old Testament story where the people were being judged for their sins and serpents were biting them, and, and they cried out to God for a solution. And God tells Moses this rather un, unorthodox medical procedure. You make this metal snake, put it on a pole, and if you look at the snake, you're going to live. And the object was not the snake. It was not the procedure. The, the, the reality was, are you going to obey God and believe in him? Faith. And by the way, we'll get back to Hebrews after the first of the year, Lord willing. But he says, now I want you to look at me. Just as this serpent was lifted up, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Myself already sort of prefiguring the cross. And I think John inserts into here this reality of love that we see in front of us. I just want to give you a few observations as we sit around the table and talk this morning. Number one, love starts with God. Look at those first two words in verse 16, for God. It starts with him. It starts with him being a God who is a loving God. Uh, if you have something that you're good at or something you're known for, Maybe people would call you by that name. I remember the town I grew up in, there was a particular man in our town that he was a big supporter of high school football, of our little high school where I grew up. He would show up at practices. He would be at every game. He would dress in the team collars. He did all sorts of things to support, be supportive of the team. He did this for years. And he became known around our little community as Mr. Football. In fact, I remember reading something about him in the local newspaper, and it says his name also known as Mr. Football. That's the way he's known, because that was what his passion was. Later over in 1 John, the first epistle of John, the same writer picks up this theme of who God is, and he uses these words. God is love. It was what he is known for. It is what he is known for. It's, the, it's just welded to who he is. It's the substance of who he is. Why does God love? Because that's what he is. It's, it's, it's attached to him. And that love then has been focused on you. If this verse does not make you feel loved, does not convince you of that you are loved, I can point you nowhere else that would be a better summary of the truth than this one. 
But look, he adds something to it. For God so loved the world. You see, heart, love comes from the heart of God. It comes from his heart, from his innermost being. That little two-letter word, so, there just sort of amplifies everything. Not, oh, God loved. No, God so. This is amazing. This is amplified. This is underscored. This is bold letters. This is all the emphasis that could be given. God so in particular loved. Now, you think of everything God made. If you believe in a creator, which the Bible certainly attests to, and I'm assuming you would uh, give assent to that being a reality and a truth. God made the heavens and the earth. And if you've ever figured this, if you've ever figured this out, you understand that we occupy one little tiny speck of a planet that otherwise would not be noticed in the vastness of the God's creation. Our sun, which blazes in the sky, which keeps life alive on this planet in a physical dimension, uh, is just one nondescript star in one nondescript galaxy in the midst of untold trillions of galaxies. And the only reason we don't know how many there are because we reach the limit of what we can see. Every time we press out the limit of what we can see, we see more of creation out there. Out of all of that, God centered his focus on this world. And he focused it on the inhabitants of that world. And he so in particular loved you. You have some people in your life that you so in particular love. Uh, I have now reached the grandparent stage of life. And we have ten of them and we, we enjoy them thoroughly. And uh, we had two extra ones with us last weekend and it was a, a joy with us. We, we love their parents too. There's just something special about that next. If you're a grandparent, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, just, I hope you get there someday. Uh, but we just so in particular, we just love being around. We just love to observe them. We love to talk to them. We love the voice. We love everything about them. We, we dote on them. We think about them. Yes, we are God's children, but maybe if I could amplify it in some ways, but just to make it sort of personal, just make it sort of feel the right way, you're like his grandchild, that special person in his life. So it comes from his heart. It comes from the deep core of who he is. And next, you see this. Love gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is not just a stale, detached emotion. Well, I love those people, but you're on your own. Yeah, I'm a God of love, but I'm not going to do anything about the despair that their own actions and their own disobedience and their own defection has led them to. You know, they made their bed, let them sleep in it. It's not my problem, that's theirs. I, I gave them everything they needed, and they turned their back on it. That's not where God ends his story with us. And that's not where his heart ends as well. He gave. It is the season of gift giving. Uh, probably you're going to spend some money on buying some gifts. Some of you are real crafty people, and you can make them. Uh, but it still is an investment that you do. You give. You want to give. It's the greatest thing that we can enjoy. But look how this giving takes place. Not only does God give, he gives the absolute best. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. A unique gift. A one-of-a-kind gift. A never-duplicated gift. 
a gift that was directly related to his heart as well. Now, you think about this. I'm sure you have. I, I don't imagine for a moment this will be a, a, an original, unique thought for you. But how could God give his dearest son to save people like us? Knowing that the vast majority of people for whom his son would give his life would never even give him the respect to consider that he may be worthy to be trusted to be the Savior. And even those of us who do come to faith in the Lord Jesus, who put our faith in him, we understand our record is not particularly that sterling. Our record is not that outstanding. Our record certainly isn't that consistent. And our record is not something that we feel too good about oftentimes. But God gave his absolute best, his only begotten son. That word only kind of, that kind of, it, it makes me think of this. That when you give a gift, you want to particularly and personalize that for the person for whom you're given, especially if it's someone you have a close relationship with. I was talking to my daughter briefly on the phone yesterday, and she said to me, she said, Dad, I picked out something I think you're going to really like for your Christmas present. Thank you for teasing me, and now I've got to wait you know, another 20-some days to find out. And then she said this, I just hope you don't already have it. <laughs> well, I can't help you with that, obviously. We'll see how it goes. But you know how it is. You don't want to give something that someone already has. You want something personal and personalized, something they would probably not get for themselves, something that would be a special sort of wow moment. What greater wow moment than for God to give his only son for you, for us? What, what, what more could he give that would be greater than that? How dare us, how dare me, for a moment to think, oh, God, life has not met my expectations. Maybe you really don't love me when God didn't withhold his own son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Not only has God given his best, look at the next phrase. In that life and in that love, there's a choice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him. That whoever believes in him. He gives to all. That all part is that associated with belief, and we'll come to that in just a moment. But whoever you ever feel left out? You've been left out of something, right? You know how that feels. You can go, but you can go back to the third grade and remember how that feels. You, you can go back to junior high school or middle school or whatever. You can go back to yesterday. I mean, it's just part of life. And maybe you were left out, and maybe that is hurtful, and maybe that needs to be corrected, and that person that did that really was doing a bad thing. But I assure you this, God did not leave you out when he gave his best. Whoever, 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 whoever that is, wherever you are, whatever you've done. It's interesting. I, I think I shared with you, I'm not, I'm not 100% that I recall where and what venue of teaching I shared this, but I had a conversation on the phone with someone recently, just randomly called, and their, their, their thought was that they had sinned so much that God was never going to forgive them. And Pastor Tim uh, uh, made a visit to, actually it was a phone call, but someone that 
was connected to through hospital ministry. And uh, the person was asking him and had a conversation on the same exact subject. I, I just feel like I can't be saved. Which is kind of interesting that those two things happened really in kind of short, compact order. But I assure you, on the basis of God's word that you see on the screen in front of you, that you hold in your hands if you have a Bible there, whosoever, whoever, whoever believes, that means the most successful, seemingly got it all together person who puts a nice picture on Instagram and everybody thinks they're famous and their hair's never out of place and they never have any struggles and they're going off to nice exotic places to the person that would never ever even dream of any of that kind of life because life has beat them up and left them battered. The person who has lived an extremely moral life but still needs Christ or the person who has just given themselves over to everything and anything that would be offensive to God. And everybody, us, in between. Perhaps what you have come to hear you're listening in or you're hearing this on the radio a week later whatever your story is maybe what you need to hear is whoever means you it's not too late you're not too bad you're not too far gone you're not too close to the end of life you're not too anything because the love of God that sent Christ into this world and we think of all the humility. He says, his only son, that whoever believes in him, that whoever, most people missed it. I mean, if God hadn't sent a, a little angelic delegation down to the fields outside of Bethlehem and a bunch of shepherds who were just minding their own business, chasing some sheep around, there wouldn't have been anyone that showed up the night of his birth other than whoever was attending the birth. Obviously, Joseph was there. Most people missed it. And we find that compelling. We, you know, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger and the angels and the shepherds and all that glitz, all that, that's, all that heart. The angels filled, filling the sky, saying glory to God in the highest, all those sort of things. But make sure you come down in your focus to this one narrow field of view. For God so loved, loved, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, that's you. Next, you see the next few words, believes in him. God does allow choice. Have you figured this out? I love asking a question that all of us are going to agree with, so I don't have, there's, I know there's not going to be any controversy. Have you figured this out, that you can't make someone else love you? Have you figured that one out yet? Maybe that can take you back to that childhood crush back in third grade too. You know, I wish she would love me. I wish he would love me. I wish someone would love me. Some of you have had some heartbreaks in that regard, I'm sure. Maybe all of us on some level, some more serious. You can't make someone love you. You can't force it. Love has to be by choice or it's not love. It has to be reciprocated. Out of choice, out of volition, out of making that calculation and that person responding. They have that choice. And people have a choice not to love in return. And God was willing to, I probably shouldn't say it this way, but I don't know how else to say it, willing to take the risk of loving people who may not love him back. 
whosoever believes. Here's the pivot point for all of us. If there was a moment in your life, and I'd love for you just to take a moment and reflect back, if you can recall that, when you came to believe in Jesus. For some of us, it was a definitive moment. It was that, you know, you walked an aisle in church or someone witnessed to you and shared Christ with you or you read that gospel presentation or you prayed with that guy preaching on TV or, or you just came to him and in some moment. I have a friend of mine who was sharing with me a while back. He, was, he had just been, felt like this God was just kind of all over him. And he just kind of pulled off on the interstate, just trust the Lord right there. He says he still drives that for work. He says, I got to go by. I said, that's the spot. That's the place right there. Mile marker, whatever it is. If you could go back to that moment when you just believed. And for some people, it's a definitive moment in time. For some people, it becomes sort of this nebulous, I just sort of grew and I came to the point that, well, yeah, I believe. That's okay too. But do you understand what happened at that moment? What happened at that moment you not only receive forgiveness and salvation and all that, but you said yes to the love of God. You made a choice to respond to the love received. You have loved him in return. As imperfect as that love is, and in, on this setting you understand, love is not always perfect. You know, the love stories and the love songs and the poetry and most of the things that are about romantic love really are about the beginning of a relationship. They meet, they go through this experience, and finally they, they kind of tepidly express their love, their, their, you know, their interest in each other, and, and they overcome some tragedy, and, and finally they get to the point where you know, the relationship begins. First kiss or walk down the aisle, and well, that's where it begins, but there's a lot more to it than that. It's that living in the grind. It's that loving in spite of ourselves and in spite of the other person and it involves choice for God so loved the world that he gave and he wants us just to accept that love and we receive it in perfection we give it back in imperfection but God is okay with that God is okay because he gives you that choice if you need to make that choice this morning we'd love to help you take that step across the line answer your questions have a conversation with you uh, if you haven't seen this presentation, grab one of these cards. That's a, an invitation to help you process what it means to become a follower of Christ. But if you are a believer, go back to that point and just, would you experience a big old hug by God that whosoever believes and you've believed in him. And then you see the, the, the results of that. Love meets our greatest need. See that phrase, should not perish. I mean, this is a great verse, except for those words, right? I mean, not that those are bad words, but it's all positive and it's all loving. And, but we do have to deal with some of the bad news. The reality is that if you don't believe there's a perishing, that, that, that does not mean extinction. That does not mean the, the soul is just gone forever. But that means a continual being separated from God for eternity. But he meets our greatest need. And that's it. You may think your greatest need is a little more money. You may think your greatest need is you'd like to have something changed about your, you know, your body or how you look. You may think your greatest need might be better relationships or some success or someone treating you differently than they have. 
Those might all be legitimate needs, and I don't discount them. But right there is the greatest need. Because all those problems will fade in time. Not that they shouldn't be better, and we'd love to see them dealt with in time, but all those things are temporary. If you're sick and have an affliction, you have some physical health thing, it's not going to be your forever existence, your forever experience. But if you don't know Christ, eternal perishing is. And for all of us, on some level, when we come back in our minds to the manger of Bethlehem, we come back to the baby laid in the swaddling clothes, Mary and Joseph and all the rest of it, let us come back to the reality that that gift by God has saved us from eternal punishment that we rightly and justly deserved and have earned. Love meets the greatest need. And we should in return, as we honor and love God, try to meet the greatest needs around us. We're going to have opportunities to do that over these next few weeks. I just shared with you part of the Union Mission and several other things we're doing. Several of you did partner with us for the, the Samaritan's Purse uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. And we, we brought boxes in. Some of you gave online. Somewhere between 110, 120, maybe more, because we're kind of have to guesstimate in the online ones, but you gave generously. Those have been processed. They're getting ready to be shipped. They're going to arrive somewhere in the world because you gave generously to meet a need, meet a need for a child to have a nice Christmas present presentation, but also to have an opportunity for that child to hear about Jesus. And we try to meet needs. We try to meet needs around us. We try to be there for people, imperfect as we are, Sometimes we don't have the resources we wish we had. But you know what? God has plenty of resources and he has met our greatest need because that's what love does. Love also does this. Love is life-giving. It's life-altering. It's life-changing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. few years ago there was one of the jewelry companies put out this big uh, you know they want to sell jewelry this time of year you figured that out you know and they always make it romantic and like you especially for the guys I think you know if you give her this diamond wow this would be the best thing ever and they came out with this thing about diamonds they're forever no they're not <laughs> they'll last a long time and they're valuable, even if they are overpriced. But they're not forever. The only thing that's on this planet that lasts forever is people who currently inhabit flesh and blood. Those of us who are created in God's image. The world of people that he describes in this verse. And whatever you're facing today, I wish I could make it better. I wish I had more ways to help and we do many things we help just coming together helps but you know what the one thing that will ultimately make it all better is everlasting life I was uh, with someone last evening at a, at a banquet for Vision Appalachian the people we're sitting with uh, this family has, has had three deaths in like just like, a, like six or eight weeks in the family just boom 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 and I said I just can't imagine how do you deal with that well, the way they deal with it is right there, everlasting life. And someday, 
we will add ourselves to that particular experience of life, saving Christ come during our lifetime. And when it's all said and done on this earth, what a joy to have everlasting life. What's at the heart of Christmas? For us, it's in those words, everlasting life. From the heart of God, what's Christmas all about? Love. A love that indeed gives, gives the best, gives to all. Has a choice, yes, but meets the greatest need, which is giving of life. It comes from the heart of God, and it starts with God, for God so loved the world. Here's what I want you to do. We've just had a nice little conversation this morning. But I want you to take that verse and take those truths. Take your own ideas and your own thoughts, your own life experience. And just spend some time immersed, basking in, being overwhelmed with, being warmed, being changed by God's great love for you. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship and study brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church in Charleston, West Virginia. If you are in the Charleston area, we would love for you to worship with us in person. For service times and more information, visit our website, calvarywv.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.